eschatology. And so the reason why we're starting with eschatology is because I want you to understand that the way we view, uh, which is the study of the last things, eschatos being, meaning last, and ology, the study of. So the study of the last things, it actually affects why we do and how we do what we do at MacAv. And so our heart behind this is for you to gain a glimpse if you're new because a lot of you, we're getting a lot of new people and the body is growing, our body is growing, praise the Lord. Uh, we want you to understand, like, here's why we do what we do so you can make a most informed decision on why you probably should hopefully lock arms with us um, or if you feel like, well, man, I need to opt out. At least it will be an informed decision. Uh, this is a hard discussion, though, because as we talked about last week, uh, there's some default thinking that we all have in the realm of eschatology of how we think about the study of the last things. And so give me grace as I'm trying to figure out how to navigate this because uh, it's very easy to overwhelm you. Um, and overwhelm people in the study of eschatology. And the one thing that happens a lot of times, and here's what I want to I say, uh, I want you guys to understand that, again, we both have a responsibility here. And the responsibility is this, is that y- you, a lot of times when people will say, well, I don't know what's going to happen at the end, and I know Jesus is going to win at the end, and that's all that matters, I'll just love God. Okay? And we'll say that a lot, and we'll think actually that that's, that that's spiritually pleasing to the Lord, but I don't propose that it's, 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 it's the opposite, uh, that totally dishonors the Lord. And here's why. Because for you to say it doesn't really matter if I study a book of the Bible that God has written for his people to be informed on how to worship him best is to say that God doesn't know what he's doing. It's to say that God has cloaked things and he doesn't want you to know. And so God is, in, in all essence, foolish. If God has written Revelation, and we believe that, and he's written it to his people, we should be just as passionate and tenacious of wanting to understand Revelation just like we are to understand John 3.16. So I sympathize, and, and this all sympathize together on the reality that, that, that this book is hard, okay, that we're going to wrestle with things. You're not going to understand some things right now. But guys, let's not be theologically irresponsible in response. Now, what we can't say is, wow, this is hard. This is going to take a lot of work. I don't really get it right now. But let's not say it's unimportant. It's extremely important. Every book in the scriptures are important because God wrote them for us. Now, I propose to you, in my opinion, one of the biggest tricks of Satan is for us to dupe ourselves in pop culture Christianity and to say something crazy like that because he wants to put Revelation in a straitjacket and throw him in a sane asylum and he'll never get out, so we'll never be blessed. And that's what he's done. And so our attempt here is just to, here's what, here's what I'm thinking is going to happen. What I wanted to happen was we go through the scriptures and we all go, oh, I get it now. And then we all frolic through the hills and we, you know. But obviously, after last week, you guys are very gracious, but that was a lot of information. <laughs> all right. All right. So, yeah. And so um, with that said, I realize what will probably will happen here in the next couple of weeks is this will probably just hopefully whet your appetite, whet my appetite, and then we'll go, wow, learned a few things, still a lot of questions, don't really get a lot of stuff, or hopefully you will. But if not, be encouraged, because then we're going to go back to Genesis, and then we'll revisit this stuff again. Okay, guys? 
Because remember, we go through books of the Bible, so we'll eventually go through Revelations. All right? And, uh, and we'll be hopefully thoroughly um, blessed. All right. With that said, we're going to jump right in right now. Um, the major thing we discussed last week was... Okay, so we talked about dispensationalism. All right? And, I, and, what, and what I tried to do there was say, hey, so there's a camp uh, that, is, that is almost like the water. It's like the air you breathe. It's like a fish being in water. You don't know you're wet. The default thinking for, for, for evangelical America is dispensationalism. It's the sense that there's two journeys for Israel and the church and that there's a very different way of thinking about... Um, I mean, I was trying to put that up about end times. I don't know if I, I don't have time to build that thing now. I wanted to show you guys the two different ways. I'll show you next week. So we talked about that, and and one of the biggies uh, we talked about kingdom. Okay, what did you guys learn about kingdom last week? Okay, it is here, and it's coming. Okay, is it a place? <laughs> all right, all right. So what we talked about last week is, no, you guys are doing good because, you know, that was all our trick questions because each one was like yes and no. Okay? So what we understand, we understand that some things, this is, now we got to get this, okay, because here's the thing. Like, so dispensationalism um, in the beginning was saying, look, the kingdom was, was supposed to be brought to the Israelites, okay? And then what happened was the Israelites denied the kingdom and said, no, we're cool. And so what happened in dispensational theology initially was then the kingdom was postponed. Okay, well, you know what the kingdom right now, we'll postpone the kingdom and we'll bring it back later when I usher in like new creation. Uh, but then what, what reformers put enough holes in the arguments where you have now progressive dispensationalism and even historic dispensationalism, this other group of thinking, they don't even ascribe to that anymore. They would agree, and I say that to say that this is orthodox thinking now. And that is that the kingdom is never, by definition, never about primarily a place. But primarily, when you talk about the kingdom of God, wherever you go in life, you always start by talking about rule, rule and reign. That primarily, when you say God's kingdom, we think place. But the focus in the scriptures is rule, is that wherever Jesus is ruling and reigning, his kingdom has come. And so that's why Jesus can say it's in you. Well, then you're going to thinking, man, I thought kingdom was a big old place, like a big old house and stuff. Well, how's a big old house in me? Because it's not about place primarily, but it's about rule. And when you are, are, are being ruled by Christ, his kingdom has come. But it's also a place, okay, because his rule is coming in people, but it will fully come when he makes, when new heavens and new earth are made and he's ruling over all the world. And that's even why Jesus says in Matthew 28, he says, all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go make disciples. The main piece there is I have come. My kingdom has broken in. New creation has come. Because of the cross and resurrection, I have placed new creation into this creation. And it's beginning like a mustard seed, Matthew 13. It stars also insignificant. Here's this dead dude with a bunch of vagabonds. And he's like, go change the world. And everyone's laughing at him. And then it begins to grow. And he says, eventually, that mustard seed will overtake the whole world. And far be it, that little kingdom that you thought was nothing is actually all mine, that this world is mine. And that's why Jesus says, all authority. Everybody should be worshiping me, but everybody's not worshiping me. Hey, so you 12, go make sure everybody worships me. That's the point in Matthew 28. So you have God's kingdom is coming in times and places. So it's not a place 
but it is a place. Primarily his rule, but eventually his kingdom will be seen. And that, and that the whole world is God's. This whole world is his. So you have the kingdom being a place, but not being a place. You have the kingdom being here right now, but not fully here right now, because you still have sin, Satan, uh, death, and demons right now. And so Jesus is saying, my kingdom has come because my kingdom people are here. And so what we do is we extend God's kingdom in times and places. That's what we do when we're, when we're honoring the Lord. And so I always say, if you're at a big boy or something and you're in a booth and you're talking about Jesus and worshiping God and leading people to Christ, God's kingdom is coming right there. And then people can be over here talking about porn and all kind of stupid stuff, and God's kingdom is not coming right there. All right. So... So you have in times and places, what Jesus has done in the cross and resurrection is he says, I'm going to allow this, this new kingdom that I'm ushering in to begin right now because of his death and resurrection. But it will fully be consummated when he destroys Satan, demons, death, and evil in itself. Okay, guys? So I just want to make sure we all, we, we're all saying, okay, now, now you're saying that's true, right? Now you're scared to say yeah. Okay, now let's, look at, let's talk about, um, and, and, and forgive me, I'm trying to make sure we, we, we stay on the point. I want, I'm going to talk about a few things. I want to talk about, I'm going to focus on what, what's happening then right now. That's our deal, okay? Here's our text. I'm going to jump around all over the place. So you guys ready? Got a pen? Okay, here we go. All right, so let's, let's deal with the millennial views here. I'm going to put them all up real quick. Guys, is it better if I'm pointing this way or this way? All right, you need to hit it, dude. I'm hitting it. Keep hitting it, please. Thanks. Right there. Okay. Can everybody see that? Let me just flow through these real quick. You have three main views, okay? We're going to talk about something called the millennium. Has anyone heard of the millennium as a Christian? Okay. All right, because I want to make sure I don't want to assume some things. So um, has anyone heard of, of Left Behind, the Left Behind series? All right, so the millennium, basically, what we're talking about right now is what's happening, what's going to happen in creation. Now, if you're new here, I'm kind of sad because I want to make sure you understand something. First, is that the most important time in history, because if you, if you miss this, you're going to miss everything we're talking about. You understand that, that this body believes, and we think it's thoroughly bibliocentric, that the most important time in history, albeit we as humans, we love, even talk to unbelievers, we love to talk about spirituality and demons and, and ghosts and stuff, and we think we're all, we're all, we can't wait to see what's going to happen to the world down here. And we almost make like the most important time in history being here somewhere, being in the future. But I want to proclaim to you, if you are a Christian, the most important time in history is at the cross and resurrection. Okay? I want to proclaim to you that the cross and resurrection is when it all went down. That's when it all went down. And all that Jesus and the the Father will be doing in the second coming is just cleaning up. Okay? He'll be be kind of just cleaning house. But it won't be, and I love this in the scriptures. Look at the scriptures. All right, the scriptures have all kind of war, um, like just war theology. Like you just have the sense of like there's a lot of warring going on. But, but just notice how whenever Jesus or the Father wars, okay, now you'll see Satan wrestling and stuff with angels, but you never see that with Jesus and the Father. You never notice that now. And the reason why is because it, Satan's not an evil God. He's a created being. So whenever you see Jesus or, or, or the Father do something to Satan, it's kind of like, hey, go sit over there. And Satan's like, all right. Yeah. 
That's how, and his point in the scriptures is like, I'm not wrestling with Satan. I'm not going, oh, okay, I got to make God one good. I want good. And he's like, no. And it's none of that. God is like, get into the lake of fire. And he goes, our God. <laughs> okay, so premillennialism. So now, 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 now so premillennialism, it's just a sense of, in, in chapter 20, we're going to look at, all right, you got this thousand years that the Bible talks about. Turn to chapter 20, guys. Revelation, I'm sorry. Revelation chapter 20. Excuse me. Hit it one more time. Okay. I'm going to read it to you guys so I can start. And I tell you, you're going to need your Bibles because usually we'll have the scriptures up here, but we're, talk, we're talking to too much text. So I'm going to have to uh, read, and you're going to have to stay with me here, and then basically the screen is going to be your notes. Okay, guys? All right, so here's what we're saying. We're, we're going to be in uh, verses 1 uh, through 8. I mean, yeah, I might go a little further. We'll see. Uh, it says in verse 1, you guys ready? All right, guys, here we go. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding his hand, uh, holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient um, serpent, and I just let this stuff marinate in your heart, okay, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So you have this thousand-year period. This is what people call the millennium. That's what we're going to be discussing today, okay, guys? Uh, verse 3, he threw him, the angel, into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. So it seems that there's this thousand-year period, some things happen, and then when a thousand years are ended, after that he must be set free for a short time. So, I, so if we just take it from the literal reading, you have this angel, he takes Satan, he throws him into this abyss, this Hades place, this darkness, he locks it for a thousand years, something's going on during a thousand years, and then he unlocks it again for purposes of God, and Satan goes and does something else. That's all you can know right now if you just take the literal reading, right? He's set free for a short time. I saw thrones, verse 4, guys. I saw thrones on which were seated uh, those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Again, you have this thousand-year period. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Verse 6, blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, uh, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Okay, so... That's what, that's what they call the millennium. Let's go back, please, one. Okay, put all those up for me. Um, so, guys, check this out. Thanks, buddy. So, so you have that millennium piece. What's going on? So this is basically, these are views of saying, here's what we think is going on during that thousand-year period. And there's three main views. Uh, we'll be focused in, we have premillennialism, which means that the millennium will occur after the second coming of Christ. Okay, so that means um, the, will occur after the second coming of Christ. No, that doesn't make sense. That's not true. No, so basically, premillennialism is that you have, you have, well, I guess it is the second coming of Christ. You have the now, but within, pre, but in, within premillennialism, you have the, the cross and the resurrection, okay? And after the cross and resurrection, we just kind of go on and do our thing, but then all of a sudden, you have a period called the rapture, 
All right. And what God does is he takes all of the people, all of his people, and they go. All right. And then Jesus comes and then he reigns on earth for a thousand years. Okay. With with his people. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You have the rapture. You have the tribulation period. I'm sorry. You have the tribulation period. You guys, I don't know if you've seen Left Behind. So you have the rapture. We go up. Then you have this tribulation period where everyone's getting beat up. Okay. For a while. Um, and, and, and then people are getting all these marks and all these things. And then Jesus comes and then he reigns with his people for a thousand years. Okay. Now, I don't agree with this view. I don't, I think it's, I think it's thoroughly flawed. That's dispensationalism. That's kind of the main view, um, in America. Okay. Let me say it again because I kind of messed up and I don't want to mess you, mess you guys up. So you have the cross and the resurrection. And after the cross and the resurrection, you have what we call, we're just kind of hanging out. And then, we, the people, are raptured. Uh, God's people are raptured. Uh, and then what happens is that there is a tribulation period because God's people go away so they don't have to experience it. There's a really bad period in time. And then the people are really experiencing evil and damnation and all these things. And then what Christ does is he comes eventually and then the second coming begins and then he reigns with the people of God for a thousand years and it's all literal. Okay, did I do a better job that time? All right. So postmillennialism occurs toward the end of the church age, and that Christ's climatic coming will occur at the close of the millennium. Millennium. So basically, yes. Yes. It hasn't started yet because unless you know, if you believe in that view, then you should be not here. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying like so. So, so premillennialism is that. Right now we're hanging out, and all of a sudden there's going to be a time where there will be the rapture first, so the people of God will disappear on earth. I mean, that's the movies. Yeah, yeah. So basically the people of God will, will, will leave. We will go with, to be with God in heaven. Okay? And then what happens is then God will bring judgment on the earth. Like basically uh, hell will break loose because there's no believers. Okay? And then when it gets real crazy, there'll be a time where um, some people will actually um, uh, begin to give their lives to the Lord. Jesus will come back and reign for a thousand years. I don't want to harp on that view because I don't believe it. Is that cool? So, <laughs> but postmillennialism would say you have the cross and resurrection, and then you have the church age, which is now. And then what happens is that we increasingly begin to go on mission. And as we are going on mission and caring for people and loving people, people start falling more in love with the Lord. And then the world begins to be increasingly better and get really good and almost really good and Christian. And then Jesus comes to reign over a world uh, that, that is, that's doing pretty well. Now, I must say, they are actually in close cahoots with us. We just don't believe that the world's going to get increasingly better. Um, but we are in agreement that there's a church age right now. And then what happens is uh, Christ reigns after the church age. Okay? They, they're, they're saying, yeah, that these are happening during that time. So, again, I mean, I mean, and I know this is hard, guys. I'm just trying to give you the, this is the data. So you have the cross and resurrection. The church age begins I the thousand years, and then what happens is as as we continue to do our love, you know, love and care, the, the, the world gets increasingly better, and then Jesus comes, 
and he reigns. Okay? Now, what, what we are, now I would propose to you, and here's, here's, what, here's the struggle here, and stick with me because we're going to, this is kind of academic right now, but we're going to get to the nitty gritty in a moment. Um, the issue is inaugurated millennialism, which is where we, which is what we are ascribing to in this body. I want to propose a few things, and I know I'm kind of stacking the deck, but I got to share the information. This is, in essence, the oldest view. This is the, this is the view that was the norm of an, an antiquity. Uh, this issue of how you saw the thousand years being actually um, not literal, but symbolic. And so you have millennium started at Christ's resurrection and will be concluded at his final coming. Which means that, that I am saying that the Bible teaches uh, that this, this rain, all this stuff that we're going to be looking at, starts at the resurrection. And that at the resurrection is when this thousand year reign and all these things that we're going to see are happening. And these things, these are, these things are happening spiritually as well as physically, mostly in heaven. And then what's going to happen is that Jesus is going to come back and then lights out. Well, and I'll even, I'll even add in there, we're going to see in the text here, actually we're going to get to a stage where, where this world system and Satan is going to almost bring so much reproach upon the church, there will be a lot of craziness going on. And right when we think the church is about to be extinct, it seems that that's when the Lord is going to come and take over. Um, I'll, I'll propose no, but we can look at that in a moment. So, so uh, let me let me. Uh, so those are just the preliminary things. Are you gonna? You guys can click it now, right? All right, eschatology. Can you guys read that? Because I'm up here. I just want this. Is this thing in the way? Okay. So, so what we're talking about here is. Let me just say it another way. So what we're saying is that you have creation, we have the fall, then we have Christ. The church age, which we would propose, is now and begun at the cross and resurrection. And then we have final judgment. Okay? And I'm going to unpack this in a moment. And one thing I just want you to know is that as we're going through things, the reason why I think there's, there's issues, um, because there's a hermeneutical issue. And I propose that Scripture, big time, interprets Scripture. And we're going to see that as we go, as we go through. Continue on, please. So first, I want you to see something. Now, the book of Revelation, you have to have a hermeneutic, you have to have a rule of interpretation when you go through the book. What I'm, my point in doing this right here is just to show you one huge flaw, and hopefully that can get us through the rest. Now, if the literal reading is the main reason why you have the other views, uh, specifically uh, premillennialism, which is dispensationalism, uh, is because they say you, you take God's word as, as his word and these things are literal. And so they see the book of Revelation as being uh, sequential. And so things are happening after each other. OK, so chapter 17 happens before chapter 18. You guys get what I'm saying, right? But notice this. I propose to you and I have notes on all this stuff that will, well, can kind of blow you away. We would say that the book of Revelation begins, um, it uses the Greek word semino, uh, which it says that basically this book is about to be, is about signs. The genre of the book of Revelation, notice this, is an apocalyptic prophetic epistle. Okay? That means, that means the whole focus of the book, and this is a genre, if you're just doing a grammar, apocalyptic meaning that uh, you do apocalyptic writings when, you, when people aren't getting what you're saying. When you're tired of people in Old Testament and New Testament, when prophets got upset, when Jesus got upset, they begin to speak in parables. Whenever someone speaks in parables, you should say, uh-oh. 
Because when you speak in parables, and in the first century Jews knew this, you were basically saying, what I'm going to do now, I'm, we've been telling you and telling you over again, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to tell you this, but for people who only are hungry enough to hear it, will hear it. And I really want to make it now where it's hard for you to hear. And so people who are kind of flipping and you're kind of lazy, you won't get it, and I don't want you to get it. And so now, I'm so to the point, I'm just telling you parables. Because I want you to be hungry. And so apocalyptic language is always given to people when someone's at their last straw. And so you see this in Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. And, I, and, and Eric was gracious. And he said, you can't put all the text up there to scare people. But if you want some notes, he did. I had 40-something slides a day, and he said, Eric can't do that. That's four sermons. And so, but if you feel like, no, I don't believe that, I'll take you to Jeremiah and Isaiah, and we can go there, okay, guys? But this is just, this is really just, this is biblical theology. This is just biblical theology 101. This is just rules of interpretation. Okay, so apocalyptic language, this is what genre is. So admit, so, they, so he's beginning the book by saying, I want you to understand something, that you're going to read this book, and what you perceive as reality isn't reality. And I want you to see as what unreality is reality. I want you to begin to look at the world from the spiritual, from the realm that you can't see. And we go, well, that's too hard. He says, okay, well, it's for the hungry people. If it's too hard for you, you won't get it. And I meant, I, meant it, I meant it to be like that. And so the whole book of Revelation is saying, I want you to be hungry about this. And that's why all through, when you look at this, even the seven letters to the churches, people like to camp out. Revelation, notice how many times you've seen Revelation sermons from chapter 1 and 3, and no one goes any further. Right? They camp out on just the churches. It's crazy. Like, it's a whole, it's a whole book. The reason why people want to camp out on the churches is because it gets kind of crazy. Because 1 through 3 is just setting up what, what the whole book is going to be. And he's saying all throughout the book, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. To the church. I'm saying this to the churches. I'm saying this to the churches. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. And his point is, this book is about to get crazy. And if you're not hungry, you're not going to get it. And so what he's doing in the book is he's doing a, uh, something, a, 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 a grammatical sequence called, called recapitulation. Okay, He's retelling a certain truth over and over again to make a point. Okay, So in, in the truth that he's retelling, here's the truth. Don't miss this. He's retelling us this in, chap- in the end of chapter 6, uh, chapter 14, uh, chapter 5, end of chapter 19 and 20. Uh, he does it again, 21. He's telling us, he's telling us, look, that the world was conquered by Christ at the resurrection. Okay? And that, and that here's the thing, and that suffering saints need to take great joy because you reign now, although the world thinks you don't. And that also, not that you just reign at the cross and resurrection, but that Satan is defeated at the cross and resurrection. And so, but here's the thing, you're going to think that's not the case, because the way that the, the Lord has said I've solemnly uh, constructed history is that I have to still use Satan for some certain purposes. And here are the purposes. The purposes of Satan, you go, why is evil in the world? Well, the Revelation tells you why evil is in the world. The reason why Jesus didn't just right now say, you go in the lake of the fire right now, but I, got you, I want you to do something, is because for the believer, he wants to sanctify the believer, and he wants to bring judgment on the unbeliever. That's what what Satan is doing right now. God is using him and saying, you're my pawn, and here's what I want you to do. I'm going to bind you, and we're going to look at what the binding means in a moment, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand that I want you to make sure that my believers love me. I want to show them that I've given them faith. 
and I'm going to protect them. And for those who want to be earth dwellers and who want to be destroyed, they'll be destroyed. Um, so, he, so now here's, here's one small little, little bitty proof of this. Look at the text here, guys. Hope you read it while I've been talking. So Revelations 1 through 3 talks about this reality of Satan being bound, right? It says, and I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having a key to the abyss and holding in his great hand a chain. Excuse me, we just read all this. I'm going to go to 19 real quick. Look what he says here. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair. Come gather together for the great supper of of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men and horses of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. Okay? But the beast was captured. Wait a minute. And with him, the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped and worshipped his image. Right here it's saying the beast is captured. Um, his friend uh, was, was captured, right? And it says the two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that, they came out of the, that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Now, you, you see that language there? You, if this is sequential, this is right before chapter 20. Am I crazy or is he talking the very defeat that we see in chapter 20. Here he's talking about the people being captured, thrown to the fiery... You see, you see the language here? But look in verse 20. Then you saw verse 21 through 3. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the keys to abyss. He sees the dragon. He, he does the same thing. Do you see that? Look at that. He seals them. Well, what's going on there? I'm proposing that he's saying the same thing in different ways. That this can't be sequential, because then if, if, if Revelation 19 and 17 to 21 seems to be an ending here, an ending of a battle and a beginning of God's new creation, it seems to be that God has won. They're eating the guy, they're in a lake of fire, it's over. So we shouldn't have a chapter 20, unless, unless he's trying to tell us something different. Does that, does that make sense? My point in that, guys, is that there's, there's little, is, is, it's a literal way of trying to make a point here. Anna? The beast and the dragon are, are very different, actually. But look at this, though. He's talking, when you see here, you're going to see the dragon here in verse 2, and we're going to go to verse 4, and we're going to see the reality of the beast and what happens with the dragon there, too. So we're going to see, so you see the beast in 19. We got the beast here, right? In verse 4, we're going to see what happens to the beast, because the beast is going to be part of this, too. So my point is, my point is, you seem, it seems to have finality. Verse ni- chapter 19 has finality here, but then you have things starting again. And we're going to look at that in a moment, actually in verse 4, where he talks about the beast. And I'm glad he uses the same word, beast, so we won't use a, a semantic piece. Okay, keep going, please. So I say, it makes no sense to speak of protecting the nations from deception in verses 1 through 3, after they've just been deceived by Satan in chapter 16, they've been deceived in 19, and they're destroyed in Christ's return in chapter 19. Do you see that? It makes no sense. So I'm proposing that chapter 20, what we're going to be looking at, chapter 20 is a vision going back before the time of judgment 
again, that he's just narrated. He's just narrated the time of judgment in chapter 19. And that we're going to go back and look at that kind of judgment again from a different perspective. A lot of information. Stick with me, though, because hopefully it'll, there'll be, hopefully there'll be some gold at the end of the tunnel. One second, just for the sake of time. Says, continue on, please. So, so notice, um, you asked about the beast, sis. Notice right here, the beast was all beat up, right? Is that fair? Beast was got beat down. Let's go down to verse 4. Look at this, look at this. So it says, I'm sorry, it says, um, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who, who's a devil or Satan, which, by the way, I'll propose even, so the beast is Satan's homie. You're not going to defeat Satan and have his little homie run around, by the way. Um, so it says, and bound him, he bound him for a thousand years. I'm proposing that chapter 20 is actually him talking about chapter 19 again in a different way. You had a quick question. I'm, say, I'm saying that this, everything we're looking at right now is what happened when Jesus died and rose from the dead. And that, and that God is saying, this is your reality now. So, 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 so he says, he sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, bound for a thousand years, though Shimon and Abyss, verse 4, he sees these thrones. Let me just walk, let me just walk through uh, the verses real quick for the sake of time. But notice here, um, well, let me just continue to go on. Can you keep going on, please? I want to make sure we can clean some things up real quick. The keys to the abyss, make sure we understand some terms here, and the keys to Hades. Um, these, this, this issue of keys, here's another example. So he's talking about the keys in verses 1 through 3, right? We see that we have, they have keys, and they've thrown this, this, this demonic figure into this abyss and locked the doors, right? Well, wow. Well, look at this. In, verse, in chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. We all, if you've done any, we uh, do biblical theology, stars falling or angels falling. Luke, he talks about the same thing. There's no debate about that in scholarship. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, you see this? Smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky was darkened by the smoke from the abyss. Okay, so what's going on here? I'm proposing, remember, he's locked up for a short time, and then they're going to open the abyss. Well, I'm proposing they're opening the abyss right here in chapter 9. Well, how are you opening the abyss in chapter 9 when you put them in the abyss in chapter 20? Because when you go back to the text and you read chapter 9, you're going to realize he's telling you the same story again. He wants you and me to understand, family, that Satan was bound by Jesus at the resurrection. So now you go, well, what is binding? That's a good, that's a good question. Because we think binding is no more evil, not God. Verse 6, um, 8, look what he says here. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was the name of Death and Hades, was following close behind him. They were given power over the fourth of all the earth to kill. See, they're given power. This sense, I'm proposing in chapter 6, he's saying the same thing. He talks about them giving power. This is, um, man, I forgot the term. You could kill me in seminary. Uh, when, 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 um, when God, it shows the sovereignty of God, when God gives power, when it says they have been given, that's huge. Because that's showing you they didn't have power. They didn't find power. They didn't take power. Something more powerful than them gave it to them. You see that? It said, I want you to do something. 
I'm proposing it's the same dude, God, for a purpose. Continue on, because i got to keep rolling. My point in this, okay, so you're going, well, why are we doing all this? I'm trying to make a point for you and I to go, at the end of the day, if you leave here and you go, okay, I don't know what we're talking about, but I do think that Revelation is not some sequential book that you read like Beverly Cleary to your kids, where you just go through it and look at a mouse and a motorcycle and you just, you know, but... But that this is a book that's apocalyptic in nature. It's, it's prophetic. He's trying to get something in our minds. And it is retelling a certain story, the resurrection and the cross and what that meant for him in the heavenlies, what that meant for Satan in the demonic realm, what it means for you as me as believers, and what it means for the earth dweller, those who don't love Jesus. And he's telling you over and over and over again. And he's telling me over and over again. So we'll go, whoa, so that's what it means. Recapitulation is happening here. If you leave here and you, and you own that, I just want you to see the text and go, okay, I don't know what's going on, but he has to be telling the same kind of story because the ending's happening three or four times. Look at this. Look at those, write those verses down. Look at this. The restraint of Satan, I'm proposing, is a direct result of Christ's resurrection. You can write those verses down. We're going to try and put these notes up online. The defeat of the devil occurred at the death and resurrection. Continue on, please. So what is binding? This is a really good question, fam. I get it. This is a good question. So what does it mean to be bound? It can mean full incarceration or authority. And I get that. We wanna, that's what we want to think it means. Um, when we think binding, you, you bind something, it can't move. Okay? You put something in a shaft and put a big old, you know, big old you know, crate over it, you know, then it can't get out. So does it mean sensation of death, like complete sensation of the devil's influence on earth? Well, you look at those passages, and we'll, we'll put those up too. Y'all gonna kill me? Gotta keep rolling. Keep going, please. I'm saying this. It does not restrict Satan in every way. Rather, it keeps him from preventing all people to be drawn to Jesus. Now, see, that's not sexy enough. Let me, let me say it one more time for you guys. The binding of Satan in the scriptures, and look what he says here. He says it very clearly here, but we missed it. Go to, look at your text. Why does it say he bound him? Look at your text, Revelation 20. Put your head down, look at your Bible. <laughs> you see what he says there? He says, and bound him for a thousand years, right? He says, um, thank you. What verses, who said that, ma'am? Who said that? Can you say it out loud, sis? I want to propose to you that when Jesus, when the Father's talking about binding, the binding was not to not have evil. Because God has accomplished his purpose with evil, guys. Although very horrible in our minds, it's a, God is doing, some, he's doing something for his glory. But God was saying, I am not binding. I'm binding Satan so that no longer at this stage can he deceive the elect. I'm going to let people, actually the nations, come to Christ. And you even think historically, before, before the cross and resurrection, you had, you, had, you had the nations blinded by Satan. And even you had, you had, you had Israel's uh, desire for mandate for them to, to be the people of God and to be ushering people in. Not happening. Now, guys, there's a ton of scripture references here. See, we go, that just does not seem like binding to me. I'm proposing that was huge for God, for God to say, OK, now I'm not I'm going to hold you where my, the people, the full number of the people can be ushered in and then the end will come. So that's the thesis. 
You can write down those verses. Check this out. Uh, so I'm saying now in verses 1 through 3, now look at this, verses 1 through 3 in chapter 20, I'm saying it's, it's synchronous to verses 4 and 6. That 1 through 3 is telling you what's happened to Satan, all right, almost in a sense of, um, yeah, and then the other, like, like looking, looking down at earth, and then 4 through 6 is telling you what's happening in the heavenlies. I'm just giving you some, some, hopefully some tools as you look at it on your own because we don't have time right now. Yes, sir. Right, Satan? I didn't get the second part, sorry. Right. I'm saying that the script that, that, what we, that the scriptures teach Satan was bound to not be able to deceive the nation so that people will actually tell people about Jesus. I'm sorry. Yeah, we have this discussion probably every two and a half weeks because that, <laughs> I mean, that's a reality. That's a really good question, sis. That's a really good question. If, if God has already said, here's my people, then that question is like, why do we even share our faith? Uh, but whatever, for whatever reason, the Lord is saying, look, I have my people out here, and the way that I'm glorified is when we go and we are kingdom proclaimers, when we bear God's image in that way, and we tell people about Jesus. And so that what was happening twofold, it seems that Satan couldn't deceive people from doing, doing what they were created to do, or what I say recreated to do, and that Satan couldn't, he couldn't hinder people now receiving the understanding of the cross and resurrection, specifically those outside of the Israel camp. And, and guys, please don't feel like, please know, like, this is... That's a, this, is, this is the biggie to swallow. This is, the big, this is one of the big pills here. Okay? But I want to challenge you to research. So I'm, what I'm going to do, okay, let's this, this make, make a deal. So I'll provide you with a ton of information. Will you read it? If you're if you, if you, if you going, I don't know about that. Like, that's cool. But what, what kills me is cats say that and they don't want to study. I'm going, don't call my bluff. Because I'm proposing to you, in the first century, this was orthodoxy. This is orthodoxy. And so, and so the, 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 the views that we've been talking about, the other views, those dispensationalism was, was birthed in the 1800s. He got some mindset, he got some of his thoughts from the Jesuits in the 1500s, and it didn't become, it was like in him until the late 1800s and 1900s. So, so I'm just saying... So, and it, could, and it could be right. I thoroughly think it's not. But, man, if that's the case, then you're saying that all these other cats were just tripping. And I'm just saying, like, I, always, I would just say the burden of proof at that point has to be on the new doctrine. And, and so, because this one, and I propose, I, it, man, it's so, 
I mean, I know, I know, I know Avin over there is like, ah, because he, he, he knows this stuff too. He's talking through it. This, I want, I want us to see how important this is. That, that, that the main thing that God was doing right now to Satan was saying, I'm, my, the people I wanted to come to know me will come to know me. And so you just shut up right now. And then when that happens, I'll let you loose to do your final deal and then I'll, I'll destroy you. And so what's going on, and so what's going on is Satan knows the end is here, he, but he's a deceiver. And so what's, what, what happens in our life, and that's why it says in the scriptures that, that Satan will try to deceive even the elect if it were possible, the scriptures say. Why does it say that? Because Satan's so crazy. You met someone who's schizophrenic and crazy. I mean, he's, he knows he's done. He understands the resurrection. He's, he knows he's defeated. But he's so PO'd, he's like, I, I still got to do something. And that's why we get lied to. I still got to try and do something, even though it won't work. I still got to run around here and cause havoc. And so, say, so God is using his schizophrenia, his craziness. Like, I got to make drama. I'm going to kill people. I'm going I'm to do all this stuff. And God's like, I know you're crazy. But that's for me. Because those who know me, no matter even if they die, they'll grab hold into the truth. And for those who don't, it'll reveal their reality. And it'll bless me at the end. Because people who go to heaven will love Jesus. So I know this is a lot, guys, and you are so gracious. I'm just praying, continue to just, I know it's one more week. Let's go here with me, all right? Let's stay in the game. Um, don't, get, don't get sad on me. Okay, so, so now, now, whether you agree or not is not the point right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Okay, just want to make sure you understand. So that would be really good. All right, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to close up. And uh, so the two biggies, so you go, well, how does that apply to me today? The two biggies we, I, that I'm throwing out to you today, guys, is that at the resurrection, that something happened to Satan, he was totally defeated. Okay? I'm trying to show you also the framework of Revelation, because we can't do our work without it. And that is that there's a retelling of a redemptive story. And he's retelling it over and over and over again. And he wants you to know that Jesus reigns now, we reign with him, that the world is corrupt, and I didn't even get a chance to go to... The beast, man. Um, and that Satan is defeated, but guess what? His defeat, the way you see it practically, doesn't look like what you think. What God is trying to do, now don't miss this. This is how it applies to us. What God is saying is I've defeated Satan. I have him out here for a purpose. But what I've restricted him to do is to deceive the saints. It's to deceive those who are going to know me, to make his word go forth. So guess what that means? We need to be making his word go forth. That's what that means, is that God is saying, I have opened the door. The evil one has no power. You can go proclaim the gospel, and his people will respond. That's joyous. That's what it means. You know what's interesting about that whole piece there? If it's true... Maybe it's kind of hard for us, because that don't really help us much. You know, no more evil is good for us. You know, no more, no more shame that's good for us. All you did was make sure that you can get your name out, Jesus. But see, God is going, that's good. You get me there? That, that kind of binding seems really God-centered, actually. So, that's what we learned. Um, 
I work hard to try to get uh, some notes in your hand. Jim, you have one more question, and we're going to go into some tithes, and we're going to do some communion. Say the last part. Yeah, and I didn't get a chance to go into the beast. The beast being actually this whole world. And um, in a thousand years, um, you know, when you look at antiquity, when you if you do your research in the Old Testament, you get a New Testament. It is newly birthed for the thousand years to be literal. That is a new concept. The thousand years was always meant. You look in Josephus' antiquities. You look, you look at Jewish writings. You look at the scriptures and how they talk about long time frames in the Old Testament. It was always meant to just discuss a time, a, a cool time. So the point of a thousand years was never, we think, duration. And we even do that. We go to the scripture where he says, uh, you know, the Lord, to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And we started trying to do sermons on that or something. His point is like, God's pers- our time and his time is just different. That's his point. You can't be making sermons on that. His point is that God's God and you're not. You know what I'm saying? And then let's pray. You know, that's the whole point. And so, so, so the thousand years, God's point there is like, is that, is that something happens in, a, in that reign is that when we die, because it says we reign with him, that we'll be with him in the eternal abyss. Right now we experience that spiritually, but we'll experience it actually with our eyes when we actually die. That's his point. I'll try and prove that next week, guys. I won't be able to do a lot of explaining, preliminary explaining next week. We're going to jump right in because we're going to have a lot to go over, guys. I know there's going to be a lot of questions, okay? Again, I'm so blessed by you guys. Um, I got to, they're going to beat me up, man. I got to.